What would you give to increase sales by 8% of your restaurant? Restaurants leveraging the power of Yelp Guest Manager paired with Yelp ads enjoy up to an 8% monthly lift in diner bookings through Yelp. It makes sense, right? Millions of people use Yelp every day to find restaurants, and they're using that same trusted platform to book reservations and add themselves to wait lists. Your restaurant could be busier today. To learn more, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast or call 877-571-9357 and quote podcast. Yelp Internal Data 2021. Based on average results from a sample study of restaurants with guest manager that purchased Yelp ads between April and July 2021 in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York City. Results may vary. Now here we go. We were talking about earlier that we came with fresh eyes to the industry. I think the longer you're in the industry, it really hardens you and it's hard to be fresh. So I think that's really the key, trying to stay fresh. We've all read the books. It's always whoever wrote the rule. And I think it's important. So I hope people in the restaurant industry, they take some more risks really than what they're doing, what they're serving, how they're treating their people, the whole thing. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. What transforms a single unit, family-owned and operated restaurant into a regional giant with nine locations? Today we chat with Eric and Alex, co-founders of the Puesto restaurant chain in Southern California. Like so many other families, they built a restaurant to share their love of food and love of culture with their community. But unlike so many others in our industry, they've thrived, building 10 restaurants in 10 years. Today we discuss the strategies and tools they've used to scale their family business. The idea started in 2011. We literally were first generation Mexican-Americans and grew up eating the best Mexican food at our home. But whenever we had the chance to eat Mexican out, we were always looking for that great representation of Mexican food. And we rarely found it. But back then, 2010, 11, around that time, we did meet a chef, Lustine, who was throwing these really elaborate taco parties. They were wearing all white chef outfits. The catering was fine dining-esque and it was tacos and we were blown away by it. What he was doing really hit us hard and it was something where we felt like we had to do something with it. We weren't in the restaurant industry and I know a lot of people kind of get sometimes the urge to maybe create a product or do something when they see something and that's kind of what it was for us. Well, that always works out successfully for people. A lot of people from other industries come in, they start restaurants, they grow to nine locations. I'm being facetious. Typically, the way it works is even seasoned restaurateurs open locations that fail. Yeah. And then here you are with fresh eyes opening a restaurant. How did you learn what to do, especially in those early days? I'm sure there was a little trial and error, but did you model it after anyone who helped? I mean, I think we're a direct example of you have to fail to move forward. I think we were trial and error and crazy enough to not have the experience, which to this day, 
I think our strength is that we approach everything as a guest and as the way we would want to be treated at a restaurant, the experience we would want to have. And nothing is too crazy for us. We don't look at it as we're industry and can't be done. It just won't be done. It has to hit these numbers. We just look at it as how do we want to experience it and how do we want to feel? So I think that was the biggest advantage, which we, we like to keep even 10 years in. But to your point, I think it was a lot of trial and error. I mean, it's the fresh eyes, yeah. I think. That's not knowing. What you don't know kind of can help you because sometimes if you know too much, it's hard to jump in. Yeah, absolutely. What would you double down on today? You look back on those early days and now you're, what, almost 10 locations deep. What are the things that you have continued to do that have worked since the day you opened? I mean, it's our number one selling tacos are the ones that are still the best selling tacos. So we've done so many things on the food side to try to expand the menu, but it's like your foundation or our foundational menu items are still the ones that guests want. Same thing with the drinks. So I think it's just kind of recognizing getting better at what your guests want versus trying to, it's almost like you don't want to innovate too much on what you're known for because we're innovating on in terms of like making sure we have better ingredients, better products, trying to deliver the food better. But if you change the what got you there flavor-wise and really try to give people something, that's where we've gotten in some trouble in the past. The food is great. I'll say that. I moved to San Diego, and it's really the only great Mexican food I've found. But San Diego is a very competitive market. Yeah. And great is very subjective. You talk to anyone on the street in San Diego and they'll say, oh, well, you know, our Mexican food, no matter where you go, it's absolutely amazing, which I would argue is objectively untrue. Well, that was our thing, too, because we grew up in San Diego, born and raised here. But Alex went to school in New York. I went to Boston. And again, we had that reputation of San Diego has the best Mexican food. And we were like, no, it really doesn't. Those taco shops, I mean, I don't know. We couldn't consider something that we know is not true. Mexican food to be great. So that pushed us a little bit to do what we did also. But outside of great food, because I mean, I think we all know that there are restaurants out there with great food, great drinks and great service that close every single day. Yeah. Are you able to look at what you've done and say outside of those things, which are table stakes, these are the things that we've done that have enabled us to thrive? Yeah, I think it's constantly changing and we're constantly adding to the things that have made us thrive. but. I mean, it goes back to, again, how the guest wants to feel is a big piece. But the only way you get there is with the team that you build. So for us, I mean, we've always had a strong foundation. We are family owned. Our grandfather uh, was involved and constantly for the 10 years with us. But everything here runs like a family. So I think that has trickled down to how our team from all levels treats the guest. And part of that experience, I mean, as you say, it's very competitive. Tacos. Again, when we opened, tacos were a thing that people just ate wherever and they didn't really care about the protein or the ingredients or the masa was coming from. Now it's got a lot more competitive. So I think you see a lot of tacos that are great, but you don't see the experience yet. And that's what I would argue is the next layer that's very difficult and where we spend our time is how we can make that experience perfect in regards to how the guest feels, where they're dining, everything from the cutlery to the plates to the glassware the value perception, just everything. So the guest has a perfect experience, even if we know that and believe our talk. I mean, I think we're strong. successful in doing things that aren't necessarily asked of us. So 
I mean, for example, we've gone to fresh lime juice in all of our cocktails and all the food. And that wasn't something that we were always doing, but no one was asking for it. I mean, most people, even on our team are like, no one's going to notice that, but we do. So that's an example. I mean, plates wise, we've changed our plates and probably like four or five times. And it's not something you have to do, but it's just us kind of recognizing that we want to stay fresh. And we also want to make sure we feel like we're giving the guests the best experience. Yeah, I mean, to Eric's point, if you're in industry, you know Paracone, you know lime juice and what people use. And obviously, it's a product that does the trick. No one's really going to notice unless you do a side-by-side the way we do. But we made an investment to really keep pushing forward. And it's not about we have the core items that we keep improving and seeing how we can do tweaks to make them better. But it's about improving just the whole, everything that Festo offers. So the lime juice is a piece of, we brought in a beverage director with a three Michelin star background from the restaurant at Meadowood. And part of that was investing in his vision, which we all agreed on, which is fresh lime juice in everything, is non-additive tequila, which is a big topic that's trending right now. And really just the education piece around our team and making sure we can touch on it later. But we want to make sure that our team is exposed to these sort of brands so they learn in the stores. But then we also have a whole program to send our team to Mexico and actually experience tequila, the agave what it feels like, what it's supposed to taste like the moment it's cooked, et cetera, so that they can really translate that to the guest experience as well and feel confident when they're talking about it. Before we get into that, I do want to talk about value perception because you guys are not particularly cheap. You use the best ingredients, you've got high standards of service, and there's process involved in what you do. There's also this inherent racism when it comes to certain cultural cuisines and how dare you charge more than a dollar for a taco. No matter what's in it, it's still going to be perceived as just a taco. And there's a ceiling on what generally people thought that would cost. Yeah. Though that is somewhat unique to specific cuisines, generally the industry has always struggled with being able to charge what the food is worth versus what people are willing to pay. How have you reconciled that? How have you managed to charge a fair amount for the efforts that you put out there? Well, I mean, look, we have kind of thick skin because in the beginning, we would read a lot of reviews. Usually it was about price. That was going to be the knock on Puesto. But we just kind of went the direction of we're not going to sacrifice on the ingredients. I mean, we've actually our ingredients have gotten better with from the tortilla all the way to the lime juice to the proteins that we're using. So we charge what we have to charge, basically. And we understand that All we can do is focus on the experience and the food we're going to provide for the guest. And we have to charge what we have to charge. And we're going to have guests that are going to see that value and appreciate it. And then it's not going to be for other guests that are just not going to, it's not going to be for them. So we've gotten comfortable with that. It's kind of the only way to do business. Well, and the fact that, again, we understand price is usually the first thing people are going to attack. So if we can deliver on everything else, we don't really have that issue. I think... After so many years in the industry and working on it, we've come to terms that pretty much if we failed and they're saying price, it probably has to do with something else or some other piece that failed during their experience. And that's where we take the effort to learn from that guest if it makes sense and see where we can pivot, obviously work with them to make that experience better, but then also translate that to every store and every guest experience. I want to talk about your website and I want to talk about marketing. You're doing it right. I don't know if everyone has this ability, but it's so easy for me to look at a website and be like, oh, that's it. Those are all of the right elements put together. 
strong brand iconography, strong brand colors, your use of video on the website, the way you position the food, the level of saturation in the photography. It's a very, very slick, well put together, cohesive brand. And I'm relatively new to San Diego. I've only been out here a couple of years. So I'm curious to know, is this what it looked like 10 years ago? Yeah. I mean, obviously we've evolved, but the big thing for us was we did take a year before we opened and we worked with a design agency from Washington, D.C. that had done some pretty cool concepts, but we wanted to go outside the area and find an agency that was really strong before we, with the brand. And we actually worked with the agency or with our grandfather that had worked on several different companies in the past, nothing to do with food, but he had a really good idea with marketing and branding. So basically, long story short, when we opened the first Puesto in La Jolla, the branding was really strong. And most of the guests that came in thought we were a national brand. Yeah. So that was important to us before we opened. We wanted to make sure that we looked very polished, which can be a bad thing for some restaurants, but that was kind of what we wanted. Well, and, and a brand that could evolve and grow. I think that's a key element. All the great brands you see for the most part, you don't see huge shifts of logos or any of that. Puesto is pretty much true to the, the same branding that they began with. And to this point, it's just built on top of that, but it hasn't done any drastic changes. That's incredible. I mean, have you seen that it served you well? That early investment, which most restaurateurs aren't willing to make, has translated directly into dollars and butts and seats? Yeah, I think it's very important to, especially now, I mean, right now compared to back then, it was big, but like Instagram had just begun, or I don't even know if it had started. But I mean, we're in a whole new world right now where it matters even more, probably 10 times what it did back then. Yeah, I think it's a big piece of brand equity where every time you shift, you'll naturally lose people whether it's a new brand, a new look, whatever it is that you go through. For us, it's the same one. It's continuously growing. So now you've created a world where we open a location in some other market, and right away they know about us from that time they went to San Diego to see the sea lions in La Jolla, whatever it may be, but the brand is the same. So it's been amazing to see people all over the country resonate with the brand. and have oh, We found some knockoffs in other countries, yeah. but our social media manager was in Sayulita yeah, yeah. last week and she literally found a menu that was... It was called Puesto. Was, was it called Puesto? Yeah, I think it was called Exact. So was, and, and the icons were the same, the top yeah. offerings same. So, I mean, I guess we're very flattered that it's translated across borders as well. Let's talk about the inner workings of the company itself because we started out so quaintly it's a family-owned and operated business and my grandfather and this. And then we get into, we have a director of brand strategy here, which is big. That's some corporate shit. <laughs> and so how did you go from no restaurant to one restaurant to a director of brand strategy? Because you're also not relatively new to business, but I mean, new to this business, new yeah. to this industry, and it's grown. I wouldn't say exponentially, but I would certainly say that you guys have grown methodically year over year for many years now. Yeah. Well, it's been very clear with our growth what we need. And sometimes we made the wrong decisions on some of the positions, but it's very apparent because our main office is very transparent and restaurants never close. So the issues kind of just really tell you what you need and what you can handle by yourself and what you can't. So 
Yeah, I mean, we have HR, which we have pretty much every department. They're really small. It might be one person or two. But I mean, we're at the point where we need everything. We have about a thousand employees. So you can't really not. We're still definitely not corporate, which is what a lot of people like. And it's good and bad, but that's where we are right now. We're still very much a growth company that is. Yeah, I think it goes back to hiring smart and hopefully never allowing little things to get, whether it's compensation, whatever it may be, just trusting your gut and going with the person that you think is going to do the best job. And that's been a big piece of us. We have an image of where we want Puesto to be, but we have such a strong team. And during COVID, we use that time to even strengthen the team more. We have back in the day, it goes, you learn a lot from the brands you admire. So I know Eric admired Sweet Green from his days in Washington, D.C. We're used to see it there. It was on M Street. The first one, yeah. Yeah, the first one on M Street and Piata in Ohio. That was a cool concept. We Puesto began as fast casual yeah. for about a year. So that's where the Puesto name comes from. So as good as our brand is and everything, the actual name Puesto is not a great name for what we're doing right now because we're full-service large restaurants and Puesto is a food stand. So, I mean, it still works. We were never going to change it, but that's just kind of an example of how you where you start and where you are 10 years later. And I think those brands, when it comes to hiring, have allowed us to see brands that do things well, whatever we're targeting. So we focus on brands like Union Square Hospitality. They do an amazing job. They create the best experience possible. So we brought in a senior leader from them who's helping us evolve that. And I talked about the Bar and Spirits with a three Michelin star background who's completely revamped and changed that. On the culinary side, we have people from, you know, they worked at Destroyer and Best Poutine in LA with the Michelin. So we don't need to do that, but we do it and make the investment because we know that bringing in people with that experience and that background can only bolster our resume and give us that level and foundation so we can keep growing. And again, you hire people you want to learn. From. Oh, yeah, that's true. But we have taken these people are they were more junior at these places. And so you have to trust that they're going to be able to grow into the levels and because we want kind of new and fresh. And I mean, not that we're a big enough company that we're going to be able to go hire their presidents or senior people anyways. <laughs> but it's kind of that trust factor where you, okay, you admire these companies and luckily these candidates apply or they want to work with you. So that's been really good for us. Seeing what was possible and going from good to great, you're going to learn something. Hearing different perspectives from different people in the group have inspired ideas or concepts that I've used since then that there's no way I would have ever come up with on my own. You pull it out of this as much as possible. When the well is dry, you pour a bucket in there and then tell us, now get it out. We could have been just as lost as when we started if all we got was, here's how to do it, go. These folks are independent restaurateurs, just like you, but they have one massive advantage that you don't. They have a proven plan. I'm launching my next restaurant marketing mastermind that brings together 12 owners and operators looking to massively scale revenue by working with me and by working with each other. This mastermind is so effective, we offer a money back guarantee. So if you're interested in scaling your restaurant's revenue with a program that is guaranteed to work, apply today at restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. Again, that's restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. You might think being on the line and filling those tickets is the thing you need to do for your restaurant, but every burger you make is a marketing call or video that you didn't make to drive more sales into your restaurant to make things better. 
I want to talk about company culture. So you've said a couple of times about the familial nature of the Puesto company culture. And family's tricky. Family's tricky because when your mom asks you if it looks like she's gained weight, you say no, because you love your mom and because you both actually know the answer to that question. Families are built on, to some degree, deception, built on love. And I would argue that many restaurant concepts run in a similar way. Hey, how am I doing at work? You're doing great. And then the next day, the other manager fires that person. Because accountability is important. But these conversations are difficult. I'm sure that they're very difficult to manage amongst brothers and cousins and everything that you guys have going on. But then to have to deal with it at scale as well is really difficult. How have you baked in a culture of accountability into what is a very familial culture? I mean, I think it's systems. I think there's so many systems in place while making it still feel not corporate that you pretty much have these rules and we're constantly learning and improving on it. But it creates a foundation where based on people actually buying in at the beginning and believing in the Puesto mission and actually wanting to do better for the company, that's kind of the beginning. And that's why we've doubled down on our talent, whether it's the HR, whether it's people who work on culture and development at Puesto and can help us with our vision of how we see it. We double down on that. But then it's also just having more, I guess, what would you say? Well, I mean, for us, one thing, like between us, we're five family members that really lead the company. And that frankness, we can battle it out and fight and say bad words to each other. So <laughs> it's good and bad. But at the end of the day, there is that continuity where like, we're not going anywhere. So no matter, there really isn't going to be those hurt feelings or, I mean, most importantly, the continuity, because that's what does help Puesto continue to run kind of in that familial way, which can be tricky, but overall it's a, you know, it's a positive. You mentioned the Puesto mission. What is it? Puesto mission is to provide the dining experience that we want to have on where at our home, eating with our family. That's really what it comes down to. Delivering that is very challenging, but that's what we're striving for. Let's talk about retention. So you do a lot to get customers in through all of your marketing efforts. Once they're in, once they've dined, how do you get them back? We do things with email marketing and open table, I think is a good resource. Obviously, we spend a lot of time on Yelp with a lot of different things. Mainly, how do you get them back is really the experience they had within your restaurant. I mean, there is technology and there's a lot of things that we use to an extent. So it helps. But I think how do you get them back is about their experience in the restaurant. That's how you get them back. They talk to their friends and their coworkers and everybody about that experience. That's really the most important thing for restaurants. No matter because no matter how hard you try with everything else, technology, social media, whatever you do, you can't really force someone to go eat somewhere they don't want to. I think the key is staying top of mind. And a big piece of that is in a world where everything has gone digital, we focus on local and in market and how we can be involved in pretty much any relative event that's in the market that we believe in the cause or whatever it may be, we want to have a presence there. We have you know, our Puesto Cares Foundation, our Puesto Cares Initiative, which helps different causes across the years. 
And that's a big way of us getting, again, we like to target hyper-local, whatever the cause is, and build on that. So I think it's important to, you have all the social and the digital and everything. Well, the stadiums too also. Well, yeah, most brands are doing. And then you have on the ground and how you can actually, whether it's the bad or good experience, at least you can stay top of mind for them and translate from more than just a restaurant to an actual piece of the city or an institution in the city that's involved in many ways rather than just the place you go eat at. It's actually a piece of San Diego. And that's why we always strive to be the taco of San Diego and continue growing. And part of that, again, was somehow we were able to work our way in. And over the years and years, a dream of ours was to be at Petco Park. And now we're there. So I think all those pieces add to the layers of complexity of how you get people back in the door. But there's no one fits all. What's your growth strategy? When did you decide to go from one to two? When do you decide to go from nine to 10? I mean, before we opened, we knew we wanted to have more than one restaurant. Just what we were developing, we knew we were going to need those economies of scale. And then opening restaurants takes a long time, too. So, I mean, we weren't really looking at, we weren't going on the streets and just seeing what locations are available. We were more looking at, I mean, most of them were developments that were in process or maybe they were three, four years out. So we made some commitments to real estate that we liked that was in the future. So we ended up opening sometimes two or three in a year, which was unfortunate because at least for us, we don't want to open more than one a year. But some of these things happened and we hit COVID and everything. But I mean, growth strategy, I think overall for us has always been to grow We also know we have a great foundation of leaders that we want to grow. They want to grow. We want them to grow with us. So that's a big part of it also. And we want to grow in our markets, ideally. I mean, eventually we want to get out to other cities. But right now we still feel like we have ground to cover in the markets we're in. Yeah. And I think a big piece is just patience. When it comes to restaurants, you start to learn about all the dynamics that come into it. Obviously, if you're a group with a ton of investors and everybody's out a little bit, if it's not a good location, then I guess you can live with that. With us, every location we pick has, you know, it's us. And so we started to learn patience along the way of these locations seem like they make sense and seem like you can do a great business. But then you have to dive into the the nitty gritty, which our cousins are excellent at that. And it's the actual back of, is it going to work out? How much are you going to have to put in? What are the TIs and tenant improvements? What are... So we know our model yeah. now, basically, which nine restaurants in. We did just open a new Italian restaurant, but there's nine Puestos, and we have a really good idea of what's the best fit for Puesto. So no matter how many studies uh, brokers give you about demographics, I think it really depends on your concept. And so we finally really have a good idea for that. But that's what gets really tricky because when you're a restaurateur and the brokers are going to give you all this information and you can do your own research too. But even just because your neighbor or whatever is doing great, doesn't mean you're going to do great. It's really tailor focused on what you're serving. So that's hard. Let's talk about the Italian restaurant. I thought that was really interesting. So, I mean, the two cuisines that are just absolutely gangbusters are Mexican and Italian. But what inspired you to pivot when you've got this perfected model? Yeah, we've been thinking about other ideas for the whole time, nine years, whatever long it's been with us thinking about ideas. And we never dove in on any of them. 
because we didn't feel strongly enough about them. So this opportunity came up during COVID, and it was actually the space next to us at our original Puesto. So, I mean, for us, we live in the area and we feel very confident about the location. And even though I know it's hard to know exactly how it's going to do with your new concept, but I mean, we felt strongly about Italian because, I mean, it was in a way with similar to Puesto where we just didn't feel like the city was doing a good enough job with Mexican. We didn't feel like it was happening with Italian based on what we had seen in New York and LA and all these other cities. It wasn't really being represented in San Diego. So we wanted to do that, really give that experience to this city. Let's talk about advocacy and activism. You guys have donated over a million dollars. Can you talk about those efforts? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to what Alex was talking about, how we want to be really a part of the community. And ideally for us, it's we don't want to give to some big foundation or something that's already getting a ton of support from huge corporations. We've done a lot of different things. Orchata was a big thing for us, our frozen orchata. So we would do orchata for a cause and we would rotate. Basically, some people from our team, causes that they cared about, we would bring those up and they would be the ones that we would support. Right now, we're about to get back into it and we're going to go with the beer. So it's going to be cerveza for a cause. And we're actually going to focus on um, lymphoma. So that's something where we're going to go to the local hospital in the region that for each one of the, I mean, we have basically Southern or San Diego, Orange County, and then we have the Bay Area. So we'll, we'll do it for three different organizations there. That's what we're going to commit to this year. So, and it's something that's affecting some people in the organization. So we'll, you know, we're going to take that on right now. So it's personal. It's either something for the community or it's something that's going on with the company. But yeah, I, I think the biggest piece with, especially when it comes to being active in your community and, and charities and, and that focus is making it feel natural. So again, as Eric said, this is natural to us because it's affecting team members. It's also natural to us because it goes back to during COVID where during COVID, everything was closed. That March 16th day was the day we had to let go of or furlough, I don't know, 90% of our company. We had to take that stance and pretty much leave leaders at each store and leave as much as we could in the main office, but we wouldn't have guests for for the foreseeable future. So part of that was then we pivoted to how we can actually give back to the community in that moment. And at that point, I mean, it's hard to think about it because it hasn't been that long, but it almost seems like forever ago. And during that time, we shifted our care efforts towards creating actual meals and cocktail kits for all of industry all hospital members where we would actually deliver it to the hospitals. And pretty much we layered it on where there was a lot of people giving food and that's great, but we wanted to make it even more and take people away from what they're going through, whether it's that hospital and the dealing with patients every day, whatever it may be. So then that translated to actually creating Zooms where we were giving classes to everybody who got these kits. I think we did close to 20,000 by then, made by our team and assembled and given out for free. And those kits would actually have a Zoom class that would teach these people, all of our guests or friends or whatever it may be, how to create some of our hit tacos, hit cocktails. And then our Cinco de Mayo one actually included the Padres, guest appearances, 
concert at the end, et cetera. So I think it's how you make it feel natural and give people an experience that they don't even know they want in the moment. So in this case, the hospitals, we have a longstanding relationship with them and what we've done in the past. So now we're just doubling down on that to make sure we can keep giving to them because it's something we're passionate about. The restaurant industry is filled with these unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? We were talking about earlier that we came with fresh eyes to the industry. And I think the longer you're in the industry, it really hardens you and it's hard to be fresh. So I think that's really the key, trying to stay fresh. We always kind of joke about because we've all read the books. It's always whoever wrote the rule. And I think it's important. So I hope people in the restaurant industry, they take some more risks, really, in what they're doing, what they're serving, how they're treating their people, the whole thing. Yeah, I agree. I second that. I think it's taking risks. And a big piece of COVID was it was hard to see a lot of team members transition out of the industry. So I hope we can rejuvenate that and begin to create a new world where that idea of I hate when someone tells us, oh, restaurants, that's such a hard business. You must be a risk taker, whatever may be getting into that. But the reality is you do it because you love it. And if you really love it, you're going to keep chipping away and chipping away until you find the path that it's going to work and it's going to become a viable business. And if it's not, you'll cut it loose, but you'll find the next one, which will be. But if you're really into hospitality and restaurants or whatever it may be in the field, just sticking with it and then just building on it. And I think well, most of the, I mean, one of the, I mean, I haven't really studied it, but one of the reasons that a lot of people fail at restaurants is they think it's easy. They're just like, okay, I got a burger. I'm just going to open up this place. There isn't real plan or understanding of what you're doing and what you want to offer. It sounds like a very easy business. So yeah, it's going to bring a lot of failure because it's not thought through. That's Eric and Alex Adler. For more on Puesto, visit eatpuesto.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.